You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from BleacherReport.com. And joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMA Junkie, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Well, Ben, we we had planned to start off the CME this week with a bang. Uh, we thought there was going to be some breaking news because the UFC is having its big hashtag the time is now press conference as we speak, as we sit here and, and record the podcast. In fact, we started some 25 minutes late uh, just just to make sure that we had seen enough of the uh of the UFC press conference uh where the company had announced that it was going to have a big reveal today a big announcement uh and it turns out that hashtag the time is not now the time is hashtag later yeah so hashtag is god could you just choose a more like hilariously ironic name for your your whole little setup where you got everybody on the stage looking like model UN you're gonna you're gonna make a big announcement. That says the time is now, and you what you have to say is that we didn't get it ready in time. God, the whole thing was just so UFC from its its new metal hold music while you're waiting for the thing to start, and then you know John Anik comes out and and gives his introduction, and then they bring all the fighters out dressed to the nines, and then Dana White comes out not dressed to the nines in his long sleeve. Uh, I guess I would call it wine colored. Uh, well, you know, the thing about that is he had a tuxedo with the tails and the top hat, but the dry cleaners didn't get it ready in just time. Just not ready in time. Yeah. Hashtag the time is not now. Uh, but the one thing they did do at the beginning of this uh, press conference was unveil the complete schedule to, for 2015. Uh, the UFC planning to do 45 shows next year, including 13 numbered pay-per-views. And then the rest will be, you know, whatever, uh, FS1, Fight Pass, Fox Network uh, programming. So uh, decreasing the number of events by one or two. So no let up in terms of the actual UFC uh, schedule. Well, honestly, I'm just glad that they didn't come out and announce 72 events. I was thinking it was we were heading in that direction. Sad, though, really, uh, that that's considered a victory for us <laughs> at this point. Uh, I guess we'll just do the show. We'll just move on with the show. Just a normally normal co-main event podcast. Hashtag normal podcast. Hashtag the time is actually right now. The time is meh. Uh, ben, this week's music comes to us from listener Joe Mizell and his band, The Mountain Road Ramblers. Oh, I like that. This is some freedom rock, man. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Remember that old commercial? Hey, is that freedom rock, man? That's what we got. Okay. Turn it up, man. Tear the sleeves off of my sweatshirt right now. I think everybody's going to dig it. Uh, If you like what you hear, you can visit their SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash MT Road Ramblers. We'll obviously put up a link to that when we get this episode posted. Three rounds as usual this week for the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Mark Hunt is going to go home and fix his marriage. But the go horse is going to the club. And in round number two... Bellator has a new look and a new schedule, but its most famous fighter is still the grave digging, bird flipping, water flinging, no beef squashing, borderline incomprehensible, custom t-shirt wearing Tito Ortiz. What does that mean for 2015? And in round number three, Kevin Luke Swanson prepares to take on Frank James Edgar in a featherweight division that this week suddenly looks a lot more cut and dried. All that plus Are You Fucking Kidding Me, which I think, boy, we know what that's going to be this week, huh? We, we got our Are You Fucking Kidding Me's already lined up here in the first five minutes of the show. Well, you gave it away. Good work. And Way just, to go, Chad. And just saying, still, yeah, that took some real guesswork there. All the Sherlocks out there in the audience really have a hard time sleuthing that one out. Uh, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Sean in Japan, which I hope is true. I hope Sean is really over there in Japan. Why do you doubt that, Listening Chad? to the show. He writes, That's racist. Serious question is Will Brooks a wizard? 
So this is my favorite question. <laughs> this is my favorite question that we got Succinct, this week. Yes. Uh, opens up a, a real... A real can of worms, I think we can agree. Well, and it did, though, look like Will Brooks cast some kind of spell on Michael Chandler. Which is exactly when they could have used referee Mike Beltran to make sure that only white and blue magic was allowed. Right. Uh, so so Will Brooks and Michael Chandler in the co-main event of Bellator 131 this weekend come out there and are having another fairly entertaining fight until the uh, the fourth round when, uh, you, you know, about three and a half minutes in, Will Brooks clocks Michael Ch- I guess what happens, Michael Chandler shoots for a takedown, right. gets stuffed, may or may not have kind of conked his head on the mat. I saw, a little bit. I saw some speculation about that. My daughter would refer to that as a bonk. As a bonk, uh, As a okay. definite bonk. Yeah, do you think there would be tears? Over that level of bonk, or well, you would gotta, you shake it off? It depends on your reaction. you got to kind of no-sell it if okay. you want her to not cry. So uh, he, he bonks his head, gets up, gets clocked in the face by Will Brooks, and then Michael Chandler does the chill dog. Like, it's clear he doesn't know where he is. He backs up against the cage like he's fighting Kimbo Slice in a backyard somewhere in Miami. He's doing the chill dog. Totally doing the chill dog. And then uh, referee Jason Herzog comes in to make a strange, but what turned out to be, I think, completely justified stoppage. Well, he took a couple more punches. Yeah, and an elbow that, right to he, the he back did, of the he neck. He did the chill dog. Will Brooks rushed in. Then he kind of turned his back you know, away from the punches. Not really an intelligent defense there. So clearly out of it, not really doing the, his normal stuff or what you'd expect him to do in a fight. Yeah, and then it was stopped. And then the weirdest part, really, is when... You, you know, the the cameras and the microphones there pick up a little bit of his conversation with the ref where at one point he seems to ask what happened. Um, and even the ref is kind of dumbfounded to provide an explanation, says like, I don't know, man, you just kind of stopped fighting and turned around. And, and Michael Chandler goes, no way, dude. <laughs> no Which, way, dude. Now, that is the moment where I really like my heart breaks for Michael Chandler, because yeah. you can see how like you're a professional fighter. You're just you're a professional badass. You've been training for this shit for months. You go in there, you're going to war, all that stuff. The dude is going to have to kill you to stop you, all that kind of stuff. You still think that about yourself. You still believe that. And suddenly the ref is looking in your face and going, you just stopped fighting and you did this weird thing that everybody's going to make fun of you on the internet for. And you have no memory of doing it. Like when you get blackout drunk, Chad, and you, you take off your pants and you, you run around the neighborhood. And afterwards everybody tells you you did it and you're like, no, that doesn't sound like me. I mean, that's where you, you, you just, you gotta feel so sad for him, cause he's gonna watch it on tape, he's gonna see that it actually happened, and yet he's gonna feel like, like it didn't, like, like betrayed somehow, like somebody else took over control of his body and made him do something that he would never do. Which is so sad. That is sad. And, and maybe in a, in a sweeping turn of events here in the last few months, Will Brooks now stands at 15 and 1 with back to back wins over Michael Chandler, uh, and he is your Bellator lightweight champion. So kind of a, a quick sea change over there in what had been Bellator, Bellator's most competitive and uh, uh, star-studded division. Eddie Alvarez leaves from the UFC. We thought that that was going to clear the way for Michael Chandler to kind of go back to being the dominant 155-pounder in Bellator. But now you got Will Brooks uh, ruling the roost, I guess, which uh, may be an exciting development for Bellator. Uh, and, uh, as you said, kind of a heartbreaking development maybe for Michael Chandler. Yeah. And Will Brooks is a good fighter though. I mean, in addition well, clearly, to, yeah. to, to possibly being a wizard, uh, we're going to have to see how his spells fare against other fighters. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you need to go in there with some kind of protection amulet. Uh, I'm just saying that I would go in there with a protection amulet. Next question this week comes from Trevor in Toronto. He writes, so Jake Ellenberger lost to Kelvin Gastelum on Saturday night. That's three losses in a row, which is normally a death sentence in the UFC. I'm going to skip the bullshit. Anyone listening knows what I'm asking is, is Jake Ellenberger going to keep his job and be a gatekeeper in the UFC? Or will we see him headlining Bellator 144 against some guy in a few months? Uh, so big win for Kelvin Gastelum this past weekend. Uh, pretty much established himself as a legitimate top 10 welterweight in the UFC. Looked good. And yeah, he did, he did look good. Uh, made weight, so kind of got that, uh, distanced himself from that monkey that, which had been on his back after he missed weight the last time. Yay, lowered expectations. <laughs> uh, and, and as Trevor points out, the third loss in a row for Jake Ellenberger. Uh, I'm going to go ahead, though, and just to answer the specific question before we talk about this fight anymore, I'm going to say, of course, Jake Ellenberger keeps his job 
for the simple and like self-evident reason that the UFC doesn't want Jake Ellenberger headline in Bellator 144 uh, as we move into 2015. Yeah, that could be. And also, like you said before on the, the podcast last week, I believe you're getting to a point where the value of a lot of these guys is that we know who they are. Uh, and I mean, Jake Ellenberger was in the goddamn co-main, right? Like it tells us something there that the dude in the co-main could be on the chopping block with a loss kind of tells you about what's happening right now with the roster. So yeah, I think he probably does keep his job, but even, even if you believe like, Hey, they don't want to let a guy like Ellenberger go over there to Bellator. And even if you believe, Hey, they need guys like this, even if it's just to fill out fight pass cards, you got to win some pretty quickly. Like, that's not a good place to be. Yeah, but I think both of those things are, are valid and true, and also that Jake Ellenberger needs to win fights. But let's also not, uh, you know, uh, undersell the, the, the quality of opponents that he suffered these losses against. We go Rory McDonald, Robbie Lawler, Kelvin Gastelum. Gastelum, obviously, at this point, the least impressive of those three guys, but is a dude that at this point we don't really know how good he is. That's He's true. undefeated and on his way up, whereas we know that Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald obvi- uh, arguably – you know, the two best welterweights in the division who aren't the champion right now. So, uh, you know, not like these are, are terrible losses for Jake Ellenberg. No, and I mean, you're right that, hey, in a couple more fights, we could look back at a loss to Kelvin Gastelum and be like, yeah, hey, that's not so bad, man. That guy's tearing through the ranks. Uh, I think that the most worrisome thing that you see with Ellenberger right now is that it seems like, like nobody really doubts that he has the physical tools, right? He's a really good athlete, all that stuff. And the question that keeps coming up about him is his mental game. Like, uh, you saw in that fight with Roy McDonald where McDonald kind of shut him down. He wasn't able to really get going. I think he got a little bit unfairly criticized for uh, not doing enough against Robbie Lawler because he was trying in that one. I mean, in the third round when he realized he was down, he kind of turned it up and tried to go after Lawler, and that's when he got knocked out. Uh, but this one, I think, you know, there's that moment where he goes for the takedown, he lifts up Kelvin Gastelum and tries to slam him. Gastelum is able to turn back into him, quickly turn to his back, and then immediately lock in the choke. And during that sequence, Ellenberger kind of does nothing, kind of freezes up there and just is sitting there waiting on his knees, kind of just in his little shell, but not even a very tight defensive shell, had his arms kind of out in front of him, let Kelvin Gastelum have full access to his neck. That's the kind of thing that worries you. You wonder if there's just some kind of mental block there for him. If maybe a few losses in a row, he doubts himself uh, and that it's starting to become kind of a a self-fulfilling thing for him. Whoa. Wow. I'm just saying, it's possible. Armchair psychiatrist Ben Folks over here. Well, you know, I. Just a harsh indictment of Jake Ellenberger's current mental state. I don't mean that it's a harsh indictment because I have talked to him about working with a a sports psychiatrist and and kind of trying to work on that, that mental game because, you know, because it sounded like he was a little bit worried about that himself. Like he'd been criticized for it and that stuff can kind of get in your head. And I think especially, I mean, he's a smart dude. I think for a lot of these smart thinking fighters, you can get yourself into trouble. Uh, by thinking about it too much and you know i'm not saying that's exactly what happened there but it is it did seem like uh kelvin gaslam got him there in a moment where ellenberger was kind of sitting there thinking instead of reacting and moving yeah but can we blow the sports horn for that for the for the scramble to the back that, that was awesome. kelvin gaslam did because that was that was one of the slicker ground moves that i've seen in a, in a while okay where's our sports horn button it's right over here. Is, is that the sports horn? Yeah, that's a sports horn. It sounds like it's warning us of oncoming land. Yeah, well, we haven't used it in a while, so it's a little rusty. All right, well, let's move on here. The next piece of listener mail comes to us from Mark from Cumbria, UK. Uh, am I alone in thinking that WSOF are massive winners tonight? By tonight, he means Saturday. They had two homegrown talents do the damn thing in impressive fashion against two respected former UFC contenders. Surely this is what they were hoping for. Uh, I'm going to come out and say that Mark from Cumbria, UK, is in fact alone in thinking that World <laughs> Series of Fighting were the big winners from Saturday night since their event was pretty well overshadowed uh, by Bellator and the UFC. Um, obviously, in the co-main event, Justin Gaethje, Emerges victorious with a split decision over Melvin Gillard, which is a, a big win for, for Justin Gaethje. But at the same time, uh, you know, it was, you know, we talked about this last week or two weeks ago when we, when we cheated the World Series of Fighting event up a week because we knew we weren't going to talk about it the following week, that this was a big opportunity for Justin Gaethje to kind of prove that he is what we kind of are giving him credit to be, you know, one of the top lightweights in the world. And it's good for him to emerge with this victory over Melvin Gillard. But at the same time, 
I'm not sure I came away from this fight feeling like, whoa, Justin Gaethje, you know, what a, he's a world beater now. I think that my, let's just say my impression of him did not, uh, balloon uh, overnight from watching this performance against Melvin Gillard, which was a good fight and an exciting fight, but at the same time, not one where, where I came away simply wowed by Justin Gaethje's performance. Yeah, but I, I didn't come away, uh, disappointed by his performance at all either. I mean, I think that, uh, if your World Series of Fighting, you know, maybe I also don't think that you can say that they're the big winners. I think that one of the things I did not uh, expect or did not anticipate, at least, was, you know, we were talking about how, hey, for fight fans who don't feel like 180 is worth paying for, you can stay home and between Bellator and World Series of Fighting, you got enough stuff on free TV and you can follow along on Twitter with the, the pay-per-view. Uh, and maybe in this way, by people just staying home with a remote in their hand, that'll be good for World Series of Fighting. Uh, one of the things that I thought was obvious when we were watching it that I didn't expect was flipping from the UFC to Bellator. And you mentioned in our audio extra that Bellator's presentation looked better than it ever has. Yeah, I think uh, we'll talk about that in the next round, but I think that's that's very true. And then you go over to the World Series of Fighting, and it's kind of clear, like just visually and listening to the broadcast team, uh, and in all ways, it's the... The pecking order is really clearly established or at least reinforced uh, just looking at them all side by side. Yeah, well, and especially with the broadcast team, the World Series of Fighting had Todd Harris and Boss Rutten, and which gave the impression that they were like, well, who's available? Who's not working to any of these other events tonight? Who can we get? Boss yeah. Rutten and Todd Harris, let's throw them out there. <laughs> well, it doesn't seem like, man, that is a – like I was thinking the same thing when it comes to refs. Um, because, <laughs> you know, you got Herb Dean's They're busy. advertising on Craigslist. Big John's busy. Mike Beltran is over there, you know, uh, in Bellator uh, judging prospects for the motorcycle gang. Mm-hmm. And- Check your battle axe at the door, yeah. Mike Beltran. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, so, and it's also, it's got to make you feel, man, if you're a MMA fighter who likes to think that you're you're really up there in the, the top echelon, you don't already have a fight booked or you're not just coming off a fight and nobody asked you to fight this, this past weekend, you've got to start questioning yourself because damn near everybody got a chance to fight this weekend. Uh, and then I assume when uh, Mark from Cumbria refers to two homegrown talents getting wins in impressive, impressive fashion against two UFC newcomers or former UFC contenders, he means Dave Branch, uh, he of four appearances in the UFC right. in 2010 and 2011, and prior to that, 2009, 2010. UFC two, washout would be another way to put it. Yeah, two appearances also in Bellator. So you were really stretching home. I guess he's had what? All right, he's had what five? Five appearances in World Series of Fighting too, so you know he he's 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 knee deep in the World Series of Fighting middleweight pool at this point. But again, I don't know that I'd call him homegrown exactly. Are, are you? Is this you correcting Mark from Cumbria on a fact? Uh, a la well, Alistair Overeem. I mean, Let me correct you on a fact. That's not. I don't need. No, we need to frame it in those terms. Yeah. I'm just doing my show, man. Just talking just over here. Chad Dennis putting the smack down. Next question comes to us from Joshua Derringer. So he kind of spoiled our our pattern that we had going here because we don't know where he's from. Joshua Derringer, let's say Bloomington, Indiana. Okay, Josh from Bloomington. Have you seen the story that came out in the Milwaukee Journal about the amateur kickboxer Dennis Munson out of Rufus Sport that died after a fight? The story is pretty hard to read given the gross mishandling by pretty much everyone involved. If there's one thing, the story really hit home was the dangers of having a trainer who also promotes fights. Do you think that it's a problem in combat sports or is this an isolated incident? Uh, so yeah, this, any way you slice it, is a trap. Tragic story uh, and a long and fairly well done and fairly well reported story uh, by the Milwaukee Journal about this guy who who died after his first was his first amateur kickboxing fight. Right. Yes. Uh, and he was a member of, of Rufus Sport and, and fought on the on a card that was promoted by Rufus Sport and. Um, and the report itself comes out looking pretty negative for Duke Rufus and the Rufus Sport team. As all, will all, probably happen when one of your dudes dies in a show you promote. True, true. Um, and and so, you know, painted them in kind of a negative light. And then that's kind of where we sit right now. Uh, and obviously, this is a combat sport. The, 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 uh, the possibility of death exists. It's always there. You could die from doing this. Um, and it's just a tragic situation anywhere you, any way you slice it. Um, it just reinforced to me, man, that like, I, I'm kind of, I'm skittish and feel sort of done with these small time 
you know, MMA or, or kickboxing. This is a kickboxing show, but like, I don't really like to go to the small time MMA events anymore because uh, I've been to enough of them where I feel like I've seen uh, my fair share of kind of scary, weird shit go on. Yeah. Especially in Montana. I think we've seen several of those. Yeah. And were you at the sport fight with me where the, uh, kid who looked like he might have been developmentally delayed fought like no showed up by himself didn't have any corner men wore like a pair of purple spandex pants did like knee length spandex look like bike shorts and a gi top we're not talking about the the guys from the bear clan no no keto no that was at that the, one the bear clan was bad as well but at least the bear clan looked like they had trained in fighting before like this legitimately looked like a mentally handicapped kid showed up and got in the ring with some legitimate wrestler dude from team quest and okay, you that, could, was, that was gonna be my next question is did they match him up against one of their own because you, that's sometimes kind of a indicator you could tell that the dude from team quest felt bad about this because like he just took this kid down and like took his back and choked him out with a quickness in like both uh 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 expeditious but also like kind of gentle fashion let's get this over with yeah he was he was just clearly wanted to get done and not hurt the guy that's different than when we saw the dudes from the bear clan hop keto joint from somewhere in oregon fight uh and they were all matched up against sport fight guys as well and their instructor who i believe went by the nickname flash and wore like flash gordon themed uh the memory on you that's right Uh, and he took the worst beating as i recall he fought chris wilson who was a legitimate dude yes yeah i thought he fought one of their like more wrestler guys who got like and he got taken down and just ground and pounded but i remember seeing this dude after the fight and it looked like one of his eyes had moved three inches lower down on his face i'm pretty sure that that guy fought chris wilson because they were that guy was kind of short he's like five eight and chris wilson is pretty tall yeah and the thing that i remember about the fight is that chris wilson just casually over and over again front kicking this guy in the face like like a jab he was just throwing it like a jab just flicking it out there just whack just every few seconds really like and it was like he wasn't even trying just sort of like yeah this guy's short i'll kick him in the face a a bunch of times as for the question about uh is it a problem for uh gyms for for fight camps to promote their own events and sport fight is another one that's pretty much like that i mean sport fight is matt lindland's deal out of team quest Quest yeah yeah i don't know this was like 10 years ago that we went to these but uh and Greg Jackson's, they, they have had their own series of fights before. They're called like Jackson's Fighting Series or something. And so you see, you can see why that stuff happens because you want to get your guys some experience. Uh, you, you can't necessarily, maybe you feel like there aren't enough MMA events for you to get them regular fights. So, hey, we'll just set up our own thing and have some other guys come over and fight. And that's how they used to do it. it used to be like that's what MMA was, was just like some fights in a gym where you bring your guys over and you'll fight our guys. Uh, I don't worry that much about the like a, a gym doing that as I do with the trend we've seen where basically management companies or managers, MMA managers, will basically buy a fight promotion. We've seen it with Ed Soares and uh, Resurrection Fighting Alliance. We see it with the Alchemist guys and Titan. Uh, that to me seems uh, a little more like a pretty obvious conflict of interest because they're the ones going out and signing these guys to basically use to promote their own guys, you know? Uh, And so that one worries me a little more. This one, I think that the big concern, if you want to point to one, is that uh, kickboxing isn't regulated in Wisconsin. And I talked to Duke Rufus about this, also about the the allegations that came out after this story ran where Rose Namaha Yunus and uh, Eric Schaefer and a bunch of former Rufus Sport fighters, um, and it seemed kind of unrelated to this, but we're just like... uh, criticizing the coaches for how they've treated people and what the gym culture is like there. Um, But even Duke Rufus was saying when they pushed for this Wisconsin state legislature to regulate MMA, he says he also pushed for them to regulate kickboxing and nobody was really interested because it wasn't like the UFC was going to come there for kickboxing. I think that stuff is also like concerning because you watch that video and you see this, this dude kind of wandering around in the cage and it didn't even seem like that, like he took any terribly hard shots in that fight. It just seemed like there was something obviously physically wrong with him and nobody did anything about it. Yeah. And like I said, the, the Rufus Sport team does not come out of this thing looking very good. Obviously, you mentioned Rose, uh, Nama Yunus and Eric Schaefer and some of the other uh, former athletes there coming out to relate their own experiences. Uh, 
so I, I feel kind of bad about, you know, I feel negative about Rufus Spohr right now after reading that, that report and seeing these, uh, these testimonials. But at the same time, I think I'm going to uh, wait a little while to see how, if, you know, how the rest of this kind of plays out because I don't want to, you don't want to rush to judgment. There's a lot of, uh, well, I've got a story on MMA Junkie right now that'll help you sort some things out. See, I'm glad I could tee you up for that. Yeah. Just tee you up for that plug. I talked to Duke today, and I talked to a bunch of the other fighters. And I'll, I'll say, I mean, there's you hear enough from other fighters that there's a, like, uh, the thing I kept hearing was verbal abuse. Verbal and kind of just, like, psychological torment that they'd pick on people uh, or, you know. Uh, and we talked to, to Danny Downs, you know, a friend of the podcast, yeah. Danny Downs. Uh, and he was he kind of came up through Rupert Sport from a very young age. And... Uh, you know, he's one who I really, really trust his opinion. And, and I heard other fighters who had said that Danny himself had been, they thought, unfairly singled out by, by Duke and, and kind of verbally abused. But uh, to, to Danny kind of strikes the middle ground uh, when I talk to him about this stuff. Like, yeah, sometimes that stuff crossed the line. Also, sometimes these people made it out to be worse than it was in their heads. And, you know, yeah, maybe, he, you know, he described at times an internal gym code of conduct being enforced by uh, sparring sessions. Uh, and I'll say if that's the case, Rufus Ward is definitely not the only gym that has that going on. Yeah, I'm you know, trying to take a level headed approach to this and just see how, it's, you know, see what see what emerges from here, although it. You know, the, the news that we have so far is, is not good. Um, well, that's going to do it this week for listener mail. If you have questions or comments or concerns to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us. You can go to the website, comainevent.com, click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter, uh, which comes out every Friday morning, catch you up on the news and notes that we miss between Monday and Monday when we're recording the podcast. If you sign up for that thing, you also get special audio extra, a uh, little short audio broadcast that Ben and I do whenever we're in the same location to watch a fight, which usually happens at the pay-per-view events. We did one this past weekend for UFC 180, uh, so that's a little added bonus for you as well yeah. if you hook yourself up with that. Also, uh, we're eventually going to send everybody who signs up an Olive Garden gift card. We just we really got to get around to those. Uh, step one, uh, steal a bunch of Olive Garden gift cards. Yeah, so none of that is true. So don't sign up for the uh, Breakfast of Champions. <laughs> Come newsletter. on, man! There are some people who are like Olive Garden uh, gift I'm not, card. I'm not interested in the email or the audio extra, but this Olive Garden thing sounds promising. I, you know, the I, thing like, that I, I do like breadsticks. I like your take no prisoners approach to marketing. Yeah, that's no, what I like about you. I had a big announcement planned, but, but I couldn't get it ready. It's not ready in time. Uh, all right, well that's going to do it. We're going to move on to round number one. That starts right now. For about seven minutes on Saturday night during the UFC 180 main event, everything was going Mark Hunt's way. Uh, he did a pretty good job during the first round, touching up Fabricio Verdum in the striking game, uh, toppled him over with a right hand to the ear hole early in the fight, um, hurt him late in the round with an uppercut, even spent some time throughout the middle of the first round in Verdum's vaunted guard on the ground and emerged from that like it wasn't no thang. And then in the second round, Verdum catches him ducking in. I don't know if he was shooting for a takedown or, or you know, trying to throw a punch, duck, ducking his head low. But uh, need him right upside his head, followed with some punches and hammer fists that forced the referee to step in and stop the fight. Uh, and in somewhat uh, heart-wrenching fashion, I guess you could say, the Go Horse is now the UFC interim heavyweight champion. Uh, what, what are your feelings coming out of this? Are you happy for, for Fabricio Verdum or more just sad for your guy, Mark Hunt? You know, kind of like we said on, on Saturday night, I, I guess I'm mostly happy for the heavyweight division because I feel like this Fabricio Verdum versus Cain Velasquez, I mean, that's the fight, right? That's the fight we want to see right now to, that'll really determine who's the best heavyweight. The Mark Hunt storyline was a lot of fun. It was this Cinderella kind of thing to see if the guy can, ride all the way to the to the big show in this uh, pumpkin carriage 
And, you know, he's a likable guy and a fun guy to watch fight. So, yeah, you, you kind of get behind him a little bit there. But it does seem like if you're going to tune in to see number one versus number two in the heavyweight division right now, that's Cain Velasquez and Fabricio Verdum. So I get that. I like that. I'll tell you what I was a little surprised by is looking at uh, Fabricio Verdum's comments in the post-fight press conference where he seemed to be acting like he really was the UFC heavyweight champion. I mean, they gave him a belt, right? So I know how that can go to your head. But it's like, man, arguably the win you had before over Travis Brown was more meaningful when you look at Mark Hunt's recent record, as much as we like the guy and as, as fun as it is to watch him. You know, you you beat Mark Hunt basically to stay where you were, which is in the front of the line. Um, and they just gave you a hunk of hardware because they needed something to help sell the fight and because they don't know how long Cain Velasquez is going to be out. And they hear him afterwards talking about how this was the, the happiest day of his life and to win this belt is a dream come true. And it's like, no, nah, dude, you didn't really win the belt. Come on. You know that. The belt's at Cain Velasquez's house. Did anyone raise their hand and, and, and be like, happiest day of your life, man? Do you remember when you beat Fedor that I one time? I believe, was anybody like that? I believe Kevin Aioli uh, from Yahoo was exactly like that. I think he asked him, like, how does this rank? You know, the win over Fedor, you said, was the best day of your life. How does this rank? And I think he put this one ahead of that one. Um, wow, ouch for Fedor. Interim <laughs> heavyweight championship outranks him. How how quickly we forget the last emperor. But see, I don't I mean, this is just take away that belt. You know, take away the the belt because it doesn't really mean anything. You know that and I know that. They just like they took well, it out of that Cain closet. Velasquez can't go and they strip him and then Verdun becomes the the real champ. I agree with you that an interim title doesn't mean anything as long as your next fight is against the champion because yes. then you're just the glorified number one contender. Yeah, you're, it's a placeholder. It's just a symbol that you're you're the guy who gets the next shot in line. Uh, but, I mean, if you take away that belt and you, and you have Fabricio Verdum standing there saying, I beat Mark Hunt, who was a replacement opponent who came in on three weeks' notice, and his record in his last three fights was 1-1-1, one, one, and, one, and this is the happiest day of my life, it makes no sense, especially if you've already beat Fedor. So, I mean, I think that uh, I could understand why a guy like Verdum would be pretty happy right then because it was, you know, it was like an hour after he beat Mark Hunt and he's got the belt sitting in front of him. And we know the go horse likes to party. He's probably had a few after, cocktails. <laughs> after a win, teams jumping up and down singing songs in the back. So, yeah, there was a, a festive atmosphere. I can understand getting a little carried away. But we know. We all know that Cain Velasquez is the champ and you're not the man until you beat the man, Jed Dundas. Yeah, I came out of this, like, honestly feeling like the Mark Hunt situation leading up to the fight had turned out to be sort of a distraction. Like, once it was all over, it kind of clicked back in my mind when I was like, oh, yeah, Fabricio Verdum is the, is the star here. Like, Mark Hunt, the, the, Mark Hunt dominated many of the pre-fight narratives, but Fabricio Verdum was, was sort of the hero of this story. He was the guy that was supposed to be there, the guy that coached opposite Cain Velasquez on the Ultimate Fighter Latin America, the guy who was supposed to fight Cain Velasquez, and frankly, the guy who, once Cain Velasquez dropped out due to yet another injury, had sort of become the adoptive fan favorite in Mexico City. Yeah, isn't that kind of amazing? And the guy who had lived there for two months to acclimate himself and... and and, uh, on the city council now, I think. Yeah, uh, he, he ran a, a, a campaign for aldermen, won by a, a narrow margin, like speaks Spanish and, yeah. uh, had seemed to be like the fan favorite of this, of this show. And so while, you know, Mark Hunt got a lot of the headlines leading up to the fight, he came in as a four to one underdog and like fought a good fight, but ultimately got knocked out. And, and at the end of it, I was sort of like, oh yeah, that's right. Fabricio Verdum is like, He's the actual guy. Here. Yeah, he's like the he's, guy. He's the guy. But let's let's talk a little bit about Mark Hunt here. Um, clearly, I, I don't know if this is going to go down as our Mark Hunt exit interview. But uh, at 40 years old and and clearly distracted, leading up to this fight with some problems on the home front, uh, he came out of this fight kind of talking like uh, I don't know if you want to say this is it for him, but his attitude was sort of like, well, I got my chance. And this and this happened. So like uh, and, you know, like we said, Mark Hunt, like an improbable uh, UFC heavyweight title contender as it was. Uh, it, it, have we seen the best from him? Is Was this the top of the mountain for him? And, and from here on out, I don't even know how many times he'll fight. But will it will it just be kind of like a a, a, a coda, like a, a, a slow run to the end now for Mark Hunt? You know, I want to say yes. Right. Because how often do we see guys just keep getting better into their 40s? Uh, but at the same time, if you'd asked me three, four years ago, I would say there's no way in hell Mark Hunt makes it this far. So I've been wrong about the guy before. I could be wrong about him again here. 
Uh, I also, though, wondered about, in retrospect, how much that, uh, that you know, he made that comment afterwards, how he had to go home and fix his marriage. And that's a lot of stuff to be thinking about, man, when you're dealing with this kind of thing. You wonder how much that played into it and how much it'll play into whatever he decides to do uh, in the future. I mean, it's not like people don't want to see Mark Hunt fight anymore. I mean, you could book him against a lot of heavyweights out there. And we're going to want to see that, you know, like we're, we're going to show up to watch Mark Hunt fight still. It's just kind of a matter of if Mark Hunt is interested in that. Uh, they put 21,000 people reportedly into this arena in Mexico City to watch the fights. Uh, we just found out a few minutes ago that the UFC will make two or three trips back to Mexico during 2015. Mexico? Yes, that's, that's, that's the Bruce Buffer pronunciation. I suppose if I were Bruce Buffer, that's, that's how I would say it. Um, should we take anything from this? I mean, are we looking at uh, a, a new hotbed of, of MMA action for the UFC? Because everybody knows, uh, you know, Mexico has long been a, 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 a hotbed for boxing and, and combat sports. Um, it's, it's always kind of a question mark to me whether or not MMA will play the same way, but like they certainly in one way or another drew well in terms of live gate and attendance for this event. And, and they want to try to go back there for when Cain Velasquez is healthy. Um, so I don't know, man, an emerging market for the UFC or, or do we not even really care at this point? You know, I think one thing we've learned about the UFC's forays into foreign markets is it's not the first one that tells us the story. <laughs> Solid point. Uh, it's the, it's the follow up ones. It's especially when we start to see what they'll, what kind of cards they'll put up there. Like you see it in Brazil. Uh, you can see it in, in Canada in some places. You know, if it's the first time, you know, you're at least planned to have Cain Velasquez versus Fabricio Verdum and everybody gets pretty jacked about it. If, you know, it comes into midway through 2015 and the main event is Augusto Montano against somebody, uh, for Dodger, like, you talking about Dodger Montano? I'm talking Montano? about Dodger Montano, uh, on, uh, like a fight pass card or a, a fight night card, then, you know, I think we've seen the pretty consistent arc where it doesn't matter where you go, the, if the fans there really are rabid MMA fans, they can size up a card and tell whether you're giving them good value for their money. And uh, once the novelty value starts to wear off, then they might start rethinking that. I'm happy for Fabrizio Verdun, but I still can't get my mind fully past the Cain Velasquez injury and what an enormous loss that would be to the UFC heavyweight division if he's not able to return on schedule, if he's not able to return at all, or if he's, you know, returns as, as not quite as good as he once was. I mean, here's, here's a guy who's 32 years old and qualifies as kind of a spring chicken in the heavyweight division where now you have a 37 year old interim heavyweight champion and, and he won the belt by fighting a 40 year old. Uh, so I still feel like the health of Cain Velasquez is the biggest issue in the heavyweight division and will continue to be of vital importance as we move into into 2015, uh, even though I think Fabrizio Verdum deserves it. And we talked a lot pre-fight about Mark Hunt's uh, fabulous Cinderella story. Fabrizio Verdum's Cinderella story, not bad either. A guy who left the UFC after a loss back in 2008 when he lost to a debuting Junior Dos Santos, uh, but has really rehabilitated his career since then. We've, we mentioned the, the win over Fedor and now has won a five or six straight in the UFC since returning in 2012. So I feel good for that guy, but... Man, got to keep an eye on Cain Velasquez, I guess, as we move forward. Let's do uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben, and then we'll move on to uh, to round number two. Uh, are we going to do a joint one this week, or do you have do you have your own? Like, what's, no, what's the story here? Midway through the Justin Gates G. Melvin Yard fight, Todd Harris has said, No, are you kidding? Of course we're going to do the Are You Fucking Kidding Me about the UFC and their big announcement. The time is now. Chad, what? Fuck, man, how did this happen? Are well, you fucking kidding me? It's not as though we came into this regarding the UFC as like paragons of truth and virtue, but at the same time, after this one, I kind of feel like I'm never believing these people again. Like, I'm never, like, next time they tell me to tune in for a thing, because something will be announced, uh, Dana White's gonna go on Sports Center for some reason, I'm gonna be like, man, forget you. I was prepared for an underwhelming announcement. I was prepared for it to be USC-themed lunchboxes are now available at Kmart. And, you know, I was prepared for something like that. I was prepared for it to just be like an announcement that is big to them. It's not big to us or an announcement that is so highly speculative about the distant future that we can't really get excited for it now or take it seriously. 
I gotta say, I was definitely not prepared for the UFC. First of all, didn't even mention it in their little opening, kind of hoping that maybe nobody will say anything well, and we'll you, just get through it all. Did you notice this, though? Like, when they first announced this press conference a few weeks ago, they made a big deal about this special double secret announcement as it started to get closer and closer to the actual event like i i did notice i went and checked today uh the ufc like the the emails and press releases that they sent out really kind of started to try to downplay that special announcement part and in fact the one that they sent out today didn't say anything about it at all and that's when i was like oh uh uh-oh because i was looking when after they started the press conference and i expected them to lead off with the announcement uh, so when Dana White finally did come out and uh, and say that the announcement would not be an announcement, there would be no announcement, that does garner an are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? But at the same time, I wasn't totally surprised because I had noticed that the announcement portion of this event had started to become less and less important. You know what I'd do if my big announcement wasn't going to happen at make all? Make some shit up? I would, well, that's what you would do is make some shit up. Uh I would maybe send out an email beforehand to all the media members telling them that uh, the big announcement portion isn't going to happen. Or maybe in the beginning of my little thing, my little presentation up there on the stage, I would mention, hey, we were going to have a big announcement. Unfortunately, due to circumstances beyond our control, it can't happen. What I would not try to do is just fake my way through it, hoping nobody brings it up. So then when the very first question is somebody bringing it up, you have to then be like, oh, yeah, no, we couldn't do it. Like Props, by the way, to the local Las Vegas reporter yes. who stood up and asked the first question, what is your big announcement? Yeah. Thank just you. no bullshit. Uh, Fuck it, you saying? If, if you're Dana White and you're up there and someone asks you that question, are you at least a little bit tempted to be like, yeah, we're bringing in fucking atom weights, women atom weights. <laughs> What's that's our big announcement? What's up now? Just to watch uh, Sean Shelby and Joe Silva. Oh man! Just fall their over heads dead explode right there on at, the, the, at the back of the at the back of the theater. Anyway, our, our big announcement is we're giving Olive Garden gift cards to everybody. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me, UFC? That's gonna do it for round number one. We'll be back with round number two. Well, Chad, now that all that bullshit is over, we can talk about the real main event of the weekend. Tito Ortiz takes on Stefan Bonner, uh, wins a triumphant, at least in his view, split decision victory, acts like he has become emperor of the world, celebrates, throws water on the guy, flips him off behind his head like he is a uh, seventh grade teacher that he's mad at. Subsequently gets fined 2500 I believe, of his $300,000 that he made to main event Bellator 131. You know, the more I reflect on this whole scenario and how it unfolded, the more I have to admit, in spite of myself, I was entertained. I kind of hate that, but I was. Yeah, uh, well, let's, let's start at the beginning. Tito Ortiz now has a two fight win streak for the first time since his back to back wins over Ken Wayne Shamrock back in 2006. So. All he had to do was beat one middleweight and one dude who came out of retirement. If that's gonna get you to fling water all over the place and flip the bird, man, live it up, Tito. (laughs) Take that $2,500 and light it on fire. Use it to light your stogie, your stogie, man. It's like, who cares? The time is now. You're going to want that $2,500 at some point in the future. So this is an interesting uh, strategy, I think, by Bellator uh, because they had a championship fight, right? Lightweight championship fight, Will Brooks, Michael Chandler, an actual relevant fight between two 155-pounders. But they used Stefan Bonner and Tito Ortiz as the main event, three-round main event. Uh, which I think is kind of a shrewd move from them because even though it turned out to be a totally crappy fight in a very predictable way, uh, the fans in the arena were going crazy for Tito Ortiz. I think Tito Ortiz still has a lot of draw with the, the casual fan, the yeah. guy who turns into Spike TV just because he knows there's fighting there. I think people do pick <clears throat> up the remote control for Tito Ortiz more than we think they should. 
Yeah, and so that, I don't know, man, that seems like a shrewd move by Bellator to me. Obviously, I felt like this was the start of the Scott Coker era in Bellator more than any of the other shows that it had done under his leadership so far. You mentioned at the top of the show, uh, the production values overall seem to be improved. Uh, they had the new uh, uh, video screens on the stage, which I like, even though I feel like some of the entrances got a little over the top for my taste. We're, we're just a couple of steps away now from having Triple H come out of the bottom of the stage on a, awesome. on a throne made out of skulls dressed like a barbarian. But, uh, <laughs> totally I do, into it. I do think that it's a smart idea for the smaller MMA promotions, uh, to try to differentiate their product from the UFC to try to make themselves seem like a, a fresh alternative and not just a crappier version than what, uh, uh is airing over on Fox Sports One. And I thought Bellator did a good job with that. And, and, uh, you know, they came out and unveiled the first three events that they're going to do during 2015. Uh, the, the, the marquee of which is probably the, uh, what is it? The British invasion? Is that what they're calling it? Uh, yeah. And I think, uh, you mentioned this when we were watching it, right? That like, as soon as we see Scott Coker on a live mic, uh, trying to live, uh, you know, pump us up for the stuff, that's when you start to get a little worried, right? Like, uh oh. It does feel like they need a figurehead to do the, the mic stuff. Yeah, because, it's like, not, that's just not his thing, man. You know, say what you want about Dana White, but he can show up at a press conference and, and like lead the shit out of it. Uh, I do feel like Bellator needs a, a, you know, a, a, a Shane McMahon style partner to go out there and do the live announcements in the cage. Cause Scott Coger, obviously not Mr. Excitement. Uh, but I think that's going to be a good event. I've been looking forward to Liam McGeary against, uh, the big homie Manny Newton. I think that's going to be a good fight. Uh, they're talking about putting Michael Page on the card, which I think will, will make it more attractive. But let's, let's talk about this though. So Bellator, uh, is, is kind of pairing back. The number of shows that they're going to do next year. They're getting away from the weekly Friday night time slot that they had been in and they're going to do one show a month. Uh, I don't know if they're doing Saturdays or Fridays that next year, but they're, they're, they're going to kind of uh, go with a less is more approach. Uh, and I feel kind of foolish for saying this because I feel like every time I start to think this, whoever I think it about comes out and fucks it up immediately. But like, I feel like this will be a good thing for Bellator and that 2015 could actually be a really positive year for that fight company. And I even feel like the, the gap between Bellator and the UFC in terms of will Bellator be able to start to steal some eyeballs away from the UFC is narrower than people think it is. I think you're right, because I was looking uh, at this, like the main card, right? You look at the main card of this one, uh, and then you compare it to the main card of UFC 180. And you have, a for the first time in a long time, an argument there. You know, I mean, it's not exactly, it's not like, you can't make the argument that Bellator is offering you the same appeal that the UFC still can do when it chooses, where it can just throw up a lineup and say, look at this, look at how many of the top guys and how many different divisions we have on one night. The UFC still has that firepower that nobody else has. They can really, uh, you know, pack one deep. Uh, and, and blow everybody else out of the water that way. The advantage for Bellator is that the UFC down does so many shows that they're basically choosing not to do that. And so, you know, you look at a card like UFC 180 where the main card is guys, you know, kicks off the pay-per-view portion, kicks off with like Hector Urbina and Edgar Garcia. And that's the point where if I'm holding the remote and I'm, you tell me Melvin Manhoff is about to do the damn thing over on Bellator. Man, I know Melvin Manhoff. I'm going to go over there and see what the hell he's up to. And either he's going to win spectacularly or lose spectacularly. And you know he's not going to let you down. And so, like, I think that they're finally getting to a point where when they get into that head-to-head argument, they can win some of them. This was the first time, honestly, in a maybe ever, but at least in a very long time where, you know, I had to watch certain fights on the UFC because those are the ones I'm assigned to write recaps for. And this was the first time where I was kind of lamenting that I couldn't just at my own whim flip back and forth between Bellator or World Series of Fighting uh, over the UFC at times because I would have done it more often. And that's that's a new development. I thought that your kid had a Hector Urbina poster in her room. So that's- it's a fathead, yeah. Well, actually, we had it, and we had to take it down because it was terrifying. <laughs> Here's something I wanted to ask you, though. Somebody suggested this on Twitter that – and I, I think the – it's telling that they singled you out for it because they wanted us to play a game where and I would name a prelim fighter from either UFC 180, Bellator 131, or a World Series of Fighting 15. I would just name a prelim fighter. You would have to guess which uh, promotion they fought for. Uh, so, I would have no chance. Uh, 
Henry Briones. UFC. Lucky guess. Uh, Rolando Perez. That sounds like it happened in Mexico, so I'm going to say UFC. Bellator. Oh! Well, see, that was a trick question, though. You did that on purpose. You misled me. Reggie Pena. Uh, Bellator. World Series of Fighting. God damn it. Yeah! Uh, I think that you just illustrated your own point, though. Not that much difference between these cards anymore. (laughs) Here's what I think about Bellator and where Bellator could make some hay next year. Uh, And I I noticed it today during the UFC press conference when they announced that they're going to do 45 shows again next year. Man, the UFC, one of the unintended consequences of of doing a damn show every weekend, which it seems like they're going to do again next year, four shows within eight days in July at one point I read on online, uh, it really starts to feel terribly one note. And I think that that's okay when you're only doing 12 shows a year, but when you're doing 45, it really starts to become evident to me that you only know one way to sell fights. It all just feels the same. It's always, you know, Joe Rogan and or Dana White yelling at me on TV about who's a destroyer and a monster and whatnot. I'm going to start to feel like Bellator might feel like a breath of fresh air swooping in once a month with a card, you know, with three or four fighters that I might know on it for free over on Spike TV. I kind of have the inkling that that is going to turn out to be a more attractive alternative for fight fans than maybe we realize yet. Yeah. And and especially the free aspect. I think the I think we can't. We can't necessarily overstate that because it's one thing if you're asking me for to pay for this stuff and I'm going to be a little more critical of it if it costs $55 as opposed to, hey, this stuff is on TV. You get this channel anyway. Here's what we got. Uh, let's spend a couple minutes before we move on talking about the, you know, Tito Ortiz, Stefan Bonner, uh, Muhammad Lawal, Bellator light heavyweight situation. Clearly, at this point, that's their marquee division. Uh, but it, it feels, it does feel a little bit strange that nobody is interested in the title over there. Uh, <laughs> cause, you know, we've already seen Mo Lawal fight Emmanuel Newton twice. Uh, Tito Ortiz has no interest in that. Rampage Jackson had no interest in that. Uh, Muhammad Lawal comes to the press conference after beating Joe, Joe Vedapo, uh, and calls out Tito Ortiz, which I think is a, as a smart move for him. Not only calls him out and <clears throat> says that he will Django Tito Ortiz's ass, which, sold right there <laughs> uh and and the, i think is a, a good strategic move for king mo but at the same time are we just flat admitting that that bellator has a, a champions league tour a senior tour in the light heavyweight division where those dudes are all just going to fight each other in some weird round robin while they just let liam mcgeary and emmanuel newton have at it for the title maybe chad what you have failed to consider is that everybody is scared of Emmanuel Newton, who is in touch with his deja vus and coincidences. That could be. I mean, no one, well, it's already happened to Emmanuel Newton, but nobody wants to get to, to spinning backfisted. Yeah. yeah, it's already happened to Mola Wall. Nobody wants to get spinning backfisted into a living death, like a robot that someone hit the off switch on. Your boy Manny, he good with the spinning shit. Well, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, in case you didn't know, and I guess I would forgive you if you didn't, but UFC Fight Night Edgar versus Swanson comes our way on Saturday night from Austin Tejas. Do you think that's how Bruce Buffer would say it? Let's hope. Tejas? Let's hope. Uh, Obviously featuring a featherweight main event between Cubby Sampson and uh, Frankie Edgar. Now, we also saw this past weekend Dennis Bermudez, in somewhat predictable fashion, got his enormous win streak squandered by Ricardo Lamas at UFC 180. Uh, Conor McGregor is entertaining the, the kids over at the uh, UFC hashtag the time is now press conference as we record this. But with a fight booked between him and Dennis Seaver, Dennis Seaver is also at this press conference, by the way. Just a bunch of UFC stars and CB Dalloway and Dennis Seaver. Enjoy your time in Vegas, guys. Uh 
So the, those guys are going to fight when? January? Something like that? February? Uh, it's the AFC Championship game, as you pointed oh, out, right? Oh, that's right. right. So January, January 18th, something like that. Uh, so with the, with that on the books and, and Jose Aldo kind of hanging around looking for a fight, can we come out and say Cubs wants and Frankie Edgar is as close to a, a sure thing, number one contender fight, as we're willing to say in the current UFC landscape? I think it's one of those things where a lot is going to determine, uh, or a lot is going to be determined by when the title is available. Like when? when Jose Aldo can fight, when that stuff can go up for grabs, because you know how that stuff could easily go, right? Like Frankie Edgar and Cub Swanson fight. Cub Swanson, say, comes out with a big victory, finishes Frankie Edgar or something. It'd be a, a huge boost for him. And uh, he gets told, yeah, you're the number one contender. Go back and run, you know, Cub Swanson's bar and grill, and we'll let you know when the uh, title is available and, and Jose Aldo can do the damn thing. Jose Aldo goes back to Brazil and falls off a motorcycle or something. Uh, can't do it until the summertime. And meanwhile, you got Conor McGregor going to go and, and probably beat up Dennis Seaver, and the UFC is going to act like it's more significant of an accomplishment than it is. It would not be that hard to imagine Conor McGregor leapfrogging uh, to the front of the line and you know yet another UFC top contender promise going by the wayside. So I don't know if we can say that anything is really a given in that division right now. I will say, though, that uh, if you're if you're Cub Swanson, I mean, he said that he's been told that he'll get the title shot if he wins there. Uh, you could see why he would feel like he definitely deserves it over Conor McGregor. Uh, I would feel like they're kind, this is one of the rare divisions where the UFC is kind of in a situation where it can really do no wrong. When you think about it, if you give Cubs Watson that fight, it, you know, you got a good rematch story there. The kind of Phoenix from the ashes story of Cubs Watson. He's coming back. He's proved himself. He's earned it. If you do Conor McGregor, people will hate watch it and the other people will just straight up watch it because he's super popular. So you kind of can't screw this up if you're, if you're the UFC. Uh, at least, you know, I say that now, but hell, I, <laughs> I thought the same thing about the special announcement. Uh, yeah, even in your scenario where Jose Aldo falls off his scooter, uh, I wouldn't argue with a, uh, Conor McGregor either interim title fight or number one contender fight and with the winner of this Cub Swanson Frankie Edgar fight, assuming, of course, that Conor McGregor gets past top 10 featherweight Dennis Seaver. Don't you start with this interim title shit now. Not now, Chad. Not now. <laughs> I saw someone on Twitter a few weeks ago alleging that after the Conor McGregor-Dennis Seaver fight was announced, that Dennis Seaver has slowly been creeping up the official <laughs> really? UFC featherweight rankings. How the hell is that possible? Do you think that that's true? A fight announcement gets you gets you higher up on the rankings? Well, who who moved up by getting injured? Uh, James Tahuna, right? Moved, Maybe. Oh, no, Jimmy Manoa moved up oh, okay. by, well, getting, getting by getting injured. By just and, not fighting. Yes, yeah. by, by the, the wherewithal to not get knocked out on a fight night. He, uh, he moved up in the light, light heavyweight rankings. Well, I guess you do have to consider that some of the time, you know, the UFC controls who is eligible for those rankings. So if they take certain people out, uh, and just say like, okay, the, you can't vote for those people anymore. The same way they've done in the past with Nick Diaz or Nate Diaz and, and other people, then yeah, I guess that could kind of slowly move that thing up. I mean, I, I just feel like, are, aren't we done taking those rankings seriously? Well, if guys are cheating up the rankings to try to to later be the fall guy for someone else, then yeah, I think we are done taking them seriously because uh, uh, that would be some some uh, some serious massaging going on there. There's already been some serious massaging at times. But you know what? I'm not going to do the math, so more power to them. More <laughs> power to them if they want to just make it up. See, this is how you can gradually take over America and become a, a brutal dictatorship because we're not going to do the math. We're just not. Let's talk a little bit about Frankie Edgar. I feel like he is sort of a quiet featherweight contender, surprisingly quiet, I think, considering his lightweight pedigree uh, came down to featherweight uh, in 2013. Um, or no, no. Yeah, 2013 lost to Jose Aldo in his first fight at 145, but has since then put together back-to-back -back wins over Charles Oliveira and then that sad, sad display against BJ Penn uh, in July. Of Set on BJ's part. Well, yeah, uh, uh, in July of this year, um, are we, are we willing to do Frankie Edgar versus Jose Aldo again? Or, uh, uh, does that, does that not, not really move the needle to borrow the parlance of our times? I gotta say, at the moment, it doesn't do a lot for me. Just because I feel like I know how that one's gonna go, uh, and it might even go worse than that. Um, but then again, hey, if Frankie Edgar comes out there and puts Cub Swanson away, 
all right, I, I might be willing to sit back and reevaluate. However, I would think that the UFC would, if that's, is the case, if Frank Yeager is the guy who comes out of this one, I think that's when the UFC, uh, turns its attention to Conor McGregor versus Dennis Seaver versus top 10 featherweight Dennis Seaver uh, and starts to think, okay, let's see how we can justify uh, changing up our plans there. Because I, I feel like you're going to have a harder time, a much harder time selling that fight again. Yeah, I really, really like Frankie Edgar and always have. Yeah, um, he's a nice guy. But he he, he came uh, came out and had those three losses in a row, 2012 and 2013. The the two against Benson Henderson were, were very, very close. Obviously, the one against Jose Aldo a little bit more clear cut. But I agree with you. Uh, uh, it pains me to say it, but I feel like uh, it is a little bit difficult to get any momentum behind Frankie Edgar at this point, despite the fact that he's a consummate professional and a really, really good fighter too. Um, but I think Cub Swanson is the guy who has uh, uh, the little – a little bit of extra sizzle coming into this fight. Uh, and he himself has a, a pretty uh, impressive win streak right now in the featherweight division, six fights. So if he beats Frankie Edgar, um, I'm not sure that there is a relevant case to be made that he is the, not the number one contender, but that hasn't stopped us in the past, I suppose. From, <laughs> no, it has not. From uh, uh, anointing uh, anyone else. Is there anything you want to say about Ricardo Lamas versus Dennis Bermudez? We kind of gave that one short shrift, even though it was a, a meaningful fight on, on UFC 180 this past weekend and one where uh, Ricardo Lamas came out and uh, reminded us who he is, I guess you could say. I was surprised. I was very surprised. I was too. And not because I thought Ricardo Lamas was not a good fighter, but just because I thought Dennis Bermudez was very, very good and uh, was really on a hot streak there. And uh, just goes to show you that stuff can end in a hurry. But uh, you got to give it up to Ricardo Lamas, man. He came out there and did the damn thing. At the same time, though, isn't Ricardo Lamas a guy who's in kind of a tough spot right now because he did tear through Dennis Bermudez in impressive fashion, uh, and that's actually his second win in a row after beating Hakran Diaz uh, in in June. But you know, just fought Jose Aldo back in February, and and it was one of those performances where it seemed like Jose Aldo kind of had it on cruise control and was content to to pound out a, a unanimous decision victory. But at the same time. Uh, it wasn't close. He just came out and kind of ran over Ricardo Lamas. So I feel like he's in, in a tough spot right now. He is in a tough spot. You know the best thing Ricardo Lamas has going for him other than this win over Dennis Bermudez? Uh, haircut? Uh, his ability to uh, throw out some pretty sweet burns at Conor McGregor over Twitter. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, seems like uh, you know that might be the thing to focus on right now if you're Ricardo Lamas is you know, don't think about trying to talk your way in or trying to make your case right now for another shot at uh, Jose Aldo. Think about picking on that Irish dude and see what you can accomplish there. So focus on your burns. Yeah, really just step your burn game up. It's already pretty good. Uh, just focus up on those burns. Maybe get a little writing workshop together uh, to come up with a few good Twitter burns to keep in your back pocket. And, uh, you know, who knows, man? Uh, title shots have been built on frailer ground than that, and I think you know it. <laughs> uh, all right, let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll depart for this week. Uh, ben, a weird thought struck me today as I was getting ready for the hashtag the time is now is that so? press conference. Uh, does it seem weird to you that the UFC has not announced the Ultimate Fighter Season 21? Uh, I've I've heard about this Brazil, the next Brazil one, right? That's right. going to be Anderson yeah, yeah. Silva we're, and Shogun. We're doing that. Okay. Um, we may have another Latin America on the docket. We may have go. another China on the docket. But as far as I know, no coaches for uh, Tough America season 21, no tryouts, no nothing. Huh. I'm just saying, did we finally give up the ghost on the Ultimate Fighter? Because if so, I will go back and edit in the sound of applause into this podcast. I won't actually do that, but use your imagination. Cheers and applause that the Ultimate Fighter could be getting put out to pasture. At least the Ultimate Fighter America. Just saying. Just saying. Well, Chad, this week I'm just saying I know that by now you saw what happened to Leslie Smith's ear. Can't unsee it, I think is what you mean. Yeah, uh, Jessica I went out there and punched Leslie Smith in the ear so much that her cauliflower ear, it seemed, burst open in a weird way and not in just like the, you know, James Thompson exploding fashion, but just like, 
like her whole ear split open so you could see into her ear. It looked like her ear was going to fall off of her head. Uh, first, Herb Dean stopped it to kind of talk to Mark Ratner about what the hell are we supposed to do here. Uh, then they let it go on, and it seemed like it was only going to get worse. You could see blood just spurting straight up out of it every time she got punched. The vine is gruesome. The vine is gruesome. And then finally, Herb Dean was like, you know what? That's enough. This is getting ridiculous now. Uh, Leslie Smith, not happy about that stoppage. Other female fighters kind of uh, chiming in saying they weren't happy about it. I'm just saying, I, while I understand why you would complain about that and you wouldn't feel like that's a real loss on your record, uh, you also have to respect that we ain't trying to see your ear get ripped off on TV, man. Come on. Nobody wants to see that. I'm just saying. You're just... a warrior. You're tough as hell. All that stuff. Once your ear starts falling off your head, we got to go. Just saying. Just saying. Man, if the stoppage is good enough for James Thompson, it's good enough for anyone, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. I'm thinking of it this way, Leslie Smith, if it makes you feel better. That stoppage, that wasn't even for you. That was for us. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. I'm not going to be around next week, so we're off on a two-week break. But we'll catch you on the flip side after Thanksgiving. I'm sure there will be a UFC coming up for us to break down at that point. Uh, but as for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. Okay, I got another one for you. Bubba Pew. Bubba Pew? Yeah. P. Spell the last name. You're stalling for time. Language P- of origin? P-U-G-H. Ah, uh, Bellator. Good guess. Yes, got that one. Nailed it. Humberto Brown. Humberto Brown.